What is good guys, welcome to Top House Sports, where we analyze and break down sports games from the week, as well as give our reactions and predictions. I'm Hansel Chu along with Kaden Wittemit, and we have a lot to talk about, so let's get started. And the NBA just started with a handful of great games between the first two days of opening night, and the opening day on Tuesday we had the Lakers against the Warriors, and a very, very ugly, win for, uh, ugly loss for the Lakers, and we also had the 76ers and the Celtics. So let's start with the 76ers and Celtics where the Celtics surprisingly came back and won and a great effort from, J- from Jalen Brown and Tatum who both dropped 35 points. And what was your big takeaway from that game? Honestly, it was the threat of the scoring off the bench from the Celtics. I think having both Malcolm Brogdon and Grant Williams off the bench, putting up both, like Grant Williams had 15, um, Malcolm Brogdon had 16. Their bench is looking really solid in a way that they can like contribute consistently for the Celtics and I think that's going to be a big threat for them. Now, they may not be at the full strength right now, but down the line, when they get their players back, that's going to pro- like provide even more like just ability for them to, I feel like, win games. But yeah, definitely the bench scoring is the takeaway for me. The fact that Jalen Brown and Tatum both dropped 35 was really eye-popping to me. That means that both of them are also looking for their shots, but they're also like contributing to each other's play as well. So it's like maybe it's like, a, hey, you do this first and then I'll go next, that type of thing. They're all playing with each other, playing off of each other. And the same thing with the bench too. They're like, they're playing into their roles. Brogdon, when he came off the bench, he was scoring, but he was also trying to facilitate as well. We see Marcus Smart, more of a spot-up shooter now instead of like a facilitator. I think it, like the offense when I was watching was more give it to Tatum and Brown, let them run a pick and roll and see like how they can make their reads. And the fact that both of them dropped 35 was just like, wow. Yeah. You have two elite scorers coming in, and they could just complement each other's play style so effectively well. I mean, Tatum also had 12 rebounds as well, so he's just doing everything on the court. And let's talk about the 76ers, too. Um, even though they lost, they also had very solid games from their big three, Harden, uh, Embiid, and Maxi as well. Harden, and surprisingly, 35 points in the game. What was your uh, reaction to Harden dropping 35? Is he on the comeback as a maybe a good resurgence here? Yeah, um, I I was more focused on the style of play really in which Harden was playing too. Like he seemed a lot more involved in the offense, beginning with like he was starting to get like his own ISOs back together, and he was actually starting to create for himself more. While he did also end with eight assists and eight rebounds while doing like all around performance really, um, being able to find that touch alongside Embiid, Maxi, and Tobias Harris as the scorers. I think that's going to provide dividends for this team if they can consistently do this. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was watching the game, Embiid was getting double-teamed literally since the the start of the tip. So when Embiid's getting doubled, he has to pass it out. And good thing for Harden and Maxi to start stepping it up on the score. That's going to allow Embiid to get more one-on-one isolations, which I think that was their game plan for the Celtics. Double Embiid, make the others beat too. And I think later on during the season, I don't think, like, teams are going to keep doubling and beat throughout the whole season so Harden's not going to be dropping 30 plus every night but it was a good uh, bounce back game from Harden coming off of last season where just a lot of turmoil a lot of disruption to see if he's like back on his groove or is he falling off but also Tyrese Maxey like I think sometimes he's playing out of control as well yeah um, I think he was still trying to find that groove within the offense I think the big reason was, I think, because it was Embiid getting double-teamed the whole game, and that kind of threw off the game plan, I would say, which was kind of odd seeing that, because I think we all knew Embiid would not get isolations, uh, like especially get this great Celtics defense, where yeah. I'm pretty sure they're not going to allow him to play one-on-one 
the whole game, especially with the opening game. Mm-hmm. I think I'm not sure what it was, but I feel like the game plan for the 76ers cause kind of threw off a little bit. What yeah. did you think? No, so um, I was very impressed by the Celtics defense. They came back this season, and so far they look like they're ready to be the number one defense again, in my opinion. I think that the switchability between the team also is just like very prevalent, and we saw that when say like someone who has an unfair matchup like Embiid. We saw um, Tatum swarm off of their man. We saw um, multiple players really just try and bother Embiid when he was getting into the post position. And so if the defense can be very effective in disallowing big-name players from getting the ball and taking over games, that can be something to watch out for. Because if they start doing this to Giannis, if they start doing this to Jokic, Doncic, other players, other big-name players, we can see a very, very good defense thrive. But at, at this point... I'm not going to overreact. I don't, it's the first game of the season. I think maybe they just weren't really prepared for the Celtics to go that hard. Yeah. But if they do keep at this pace, like the Celtics can be a very, very good defensive team again. Oh, definitely. And let's move on to the later slate of that game on Tuesday night, the Lakers and Warriors. Um, the Warriors blew the Lakers out the water on yeah. opening night, which was kind of surprising to see. I thought the Lakers would come out with more fire. I mean, they did keep the game relatively close until that third quarter. We know the Warriors go on that third quarter run. The Lakers were just not able to hold up. So what was your big takeaway from that game? Honestly, I saw something that I hadn't really seen in two years, and that was Anthony Davis's athleticism. I know they lost. I know this game probably didn't go the way that the Lakers, Lakers fans wanted to. But being able to see your top two guys perform at the level in which they did, Anthony Davis dropping 27 points, LeBron having um, above 30 and 14 rebounds and eight assists. Like, it's just you love to see your two best players complementing each other. And not, I mean, I, I would say working toward a win, but they weren't really close. But it, it was not that far off toward the end. Only maybe a 13 point lead down the stretch for the Warriors as they were trying to work back from it. Unfortunately, they didn't. But. Yeah, no, my biggest takeaway is that Anthony Davis is looking back and better. For me, the Lakers, again, the problems still arise from last season. The lack of shooting is a big reason why they weren't able to win this game. Um, I thought the stats for LeBron and AD were a little... I, I think when you look at the stats, you seem like they had a great game, that they did all they could. But in reality, in the third quarter, like the reason why they had like, those big stats, 27 points, 30-plus for LeBron... Because it's garbage time. They're already down by like 21. Um, I, I was just looking at the box score. It was already the fourth quarter. And they're down by like, what, almost 20 points? And what? And I still saw AD and LeBron still in the game. So I was just like, hmm. I was kind of confused. Like, are they going to sit them? Is it just time to move on to the next game? Nah, Coach Starvingham, he let LeBron and AD play, try to get some chemistry going. So all those stats that I saw was just kind of empty stats for me at that point. But speaking of the Lakers, um... The spacing is horrendous. Yeah. I Multiple times, yeah. I think in that second quarter where I saw AD and LeBron in the paint, and I just have, I see like three other people inside the paint as well. I'm not sure what the game plan was, but there was just no spacing for LeBron to drive and kick or for AD to kick the ball out if he's getting double teamed. And we saw like multiple times, they're getting great looks from three. But I think a, a thing LeBron said was kind of eye-popping. He, was, he said like the Warriors, they let other players such as Kendrick Nunn, Lonnie Walker to shoot the ball they kind of let them shoot it they dared them to shoot the ball because they kind of knew that hey we'll take your chances with you shooting the three ball rather than lebron and ad getting into the way and shooting the ball over us i mean what was your reaction seeing that honestly yeah the spacing for the lakers was just upright terrible they were not being able to knock down any shots at all beyond the paint and 
when you're coupled with LeBron and AD, who aren't the best shooters per se in the league, they're capable, but they're not the best, along with Westbrook, who we know is not a good shooter as well. They, they're definitely lacking, I feel like, Malik Monk's presence from last year. Someone who's able to not only create, but just be a threat outside consistently. They don't really have that this year. Although Kendrick Nunn did come out firing. He looked pretty good in his debut, I'd say. They're just missing a shooters, and I don't think they have that yet. <laughs> they tried to supplement that with, I think, Matt Ryan. Yeah. Not good. Not good. I mean, if you're Rob Polinka, the GM, are you like how quick are you making a uh, a trade right now for a shooter or something? Like, how quick is that acquisition going to be? Well, I I would have had my eyes set on Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. That trade for Russell Westbrook in the pick, I I think that would have been a perfect trade for the Lakers because not only do you get size in Turner, who can start alongside maybe AD, AD gets pushed to the four, mm-hmm. but Buddy Heald's presence is goes far more than just being able to shoot. It's the threat of him being able to do so off the dribble being that, like, he's probably atop the league when it comes to three-point shooting, having won the three-point contest in the years prior. It's just you guys need a threat. And teams are not going to guard you all the way up if you're not able to shoot the three at a consistent pace. And that's going to eventually lose games. So I think it's very important that he addresses this, Rob Polinka, because the Lakers do need shooters. And for Russell Westbrook, he did have a solid game, I would say, a solid game. But if you're the coach, are you still moving uh, Westbrook back to the bench or just keep him in the starting lineup? Because at this point, it seems he's just off anywhere in the starting lineup or from the bench, as we saw in Sacramento in the preseason. Where does Russell Westbrook go for this team? More specifically, I think um, it really doesn't matter where he goes. I think the starting lineup, though, that they presented on opening night was absolutely terrible. Having um, three guards, in my opinion, Lonnie Walker, Russell Westbrook, and Patrick Beverly start alongside AD and LeBron, I don't like that at all. I think that either Patrick Beverly or Russell Westbrook definitely needs to come off the bench for them because having a two-point guard rotation, although both are not like completely unable to guard on defense, I think it's just size-wise in order to compete with another team. Maybe they did it for the like uh, for the Warriors specifically because. They had a lot of lineups with Poole, Clay, and Curry. But, yeah, no, that, that starting five needs to change. And whether it be, I think it maybe try out Westbrook off the bench a little bit to see, because he wants he's a ball-dominant guy. If you yeah. want someone off the bench that's ball-dominant, that doesn't take away from your two best players, I think that's the best way to do it. So my my guess would that be that they'd be better if Westbrook came off the bench and Patrick Beverly was that starter. But we'll see. I don't know if that's going to happen. And for the Warriors, they had... I don't think they even had the best of games, to be honest. I mean, Steph Curry did have a great game. He finished it off with over 25 in the game. But if you look at the whole game, Clay wasn't really in that groove yet. Uh, Wiggins had a pretty solid game. Poole didn't even play to the best of his abilities as well. And Wiseman was still trying, trying to get the... Wiseman was trying to still get into the groove of things. So there's a lot of things the Warriors still need to work on, trying to get more players back involved. But that's a scary sight to see if this Warriors team is all fully chemistry together, they're all working together, and they're all full strength. Because that would be a scary sight to see. Yeah, um, like you said, I agree that the Warriors didn't have the best of games, although they did have an incredibly solid one. I think Wiggins' contribution was a little underrated in the fact that I believe he was just like, in the moment of him making his shots, it kind of like built up that lead. Like there was a lot of, um, I think, him and Curry. That's the reason they kind of distanced themselves in that game. Um, but either way, I think this team is starting to find their groove for sure. 
Um, we saw Moses Moody come in and feel confident knocking down the three ball as well. I think that this team has an incredible potential to get back to the finals. And just going off of these two, two, two games that we saw, the finals teams are impressing in their debuts. Is it that surprising? Maybe not really, but we have a long season ahead of us and being in the, the position that they both were in last year, I'm sure they both want to get back there. So it'll be a very interesting season for sure. For sure. In yesterday's game, the Dallas Mavericks had a rematch with the Phoenix Suns. And what seemed like another blowout win for the Mavericks, the Suns incredibly came back and won. In the 105-103 win, Damian Lee, of all people, had the game winner <laughs> for the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. But what was your big takeaway? For me, like Luka Doncic, he had a, I thought he was going to go off for 50 again. He had such an incredible first half. But in the second half, it seems like things slowed down for the Mavericks. They weren't able to get anything going. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., if, um, for me, seems like he was struggling to fit in, trying to get shots up, trying to find a rhythm into the game. Uh, even though Christian Wood did have a solid debut for him, I don't know, these key pieces for the Mavericks aren't living up to how they were supposed to play. Yeah, honestly, I like, I feel like anyone could have really seen this coming, too. The Mavericks just have so many holes. I feel like they don't have any prominent, like, they have Luka, they have big man talent, which I per se, like, JaVale McGee is a good pick-and-roll man for Luka, and Christian Wood, we're no, we know what he can do. But besides them, there's really no prominent players anymore. The loss of Jalen Brunson, I think, hurts a lot more than they think because now they're just left with wing shooters, Luka, and Christian Wood, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, uh, Dinwiddie does play a good factor in scoring, but again, uh, Brunson's impact was a great facilitator, a person that could get the offense going, but also could get a bucket if you need to. Uh, besides the starting lineup where they ran yesterday with Luka and uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, off the bench, you really don't have anyone that's that point guard to run the offense when Luka's off, which kind of leaves Luka try to play big minutes over 35, 36 minutes every night, which is not a recipe for success, especially with uh, Luka being a great superstar for this Dallas Mavericks team. Yeah, I, d I don't like the construct of this team at all. I think that they definitely lack scoring off the bench, not only scoring, but just like an off the bench presence in general. But, yeah, moving on, I feel like the Suns, we need to talk about them a little bit. I don't think, did you see this comeback spruing the way it did or no? Oh, I definitely did not. I thought that the Mavericks had it in the bag, to be honest. And even when the Suns started to creep back in, like, that that play from Christian Wood where he had 16 straight points for the Dallas Mavericks, I thought that was going to be, like, the, the haymaker right there and that was going to seal the game. But I did not see the Suns keep fighting back. And that was a really big way for the Suns, just for the franchise, just for the um the fans as well like they lost last year super super bad in the conference um in the semi-conference finals against the Dallas Mavericks where they lost by what over 30 40 points <laughs> in a game seven yeah. in a game seven yeah do or die situation in the preseason they got a lot of heat for losing to that one Australian team so now going into the season a lot of people were doubting the Suns a lot of people were clowning on the Suns yeah everyone's saying like the Suns aren't even going to make the playoffs this year which I thought was kind of bizarre <laughs> But this win kind of put them back on the map. It's like, hey, like, stop with the disrespect. Like, we're back in it. Like, we're still the same team that went to the finals two years ago. We're still the same team that won over 60 games last year. Yeah. I think this was a great uh, great win for them to say, hey, put some respect back on our name. Yeah. Um. One of the key things that I kind of saw in that game was the shared ball movement. Not only, I feel like Booker was, like, toward that final possession specifically, he wanted to take that shot. And I think everyone knew that he wanted to take that shot. And he got double teamed. 
but he didn't hesitate to give it to the next man up, and that so happened to be Damian Lee, and he made a play. So I feel like the unselfishness is doing like wonders. I feel like maybe Chris Paul's presence in the locker room has made these guys want to win so much so that they're willing to sacrifice now. So the Phoenix Suns are definitely not out there running for the playoffs and even the championship. So we'll see them definitely throughout the course of the season, I think, thrive with this team. For me, if Chris Paul, though, um, that game was not a good look for Chris Paul, I would say. I think he started to... I st- I think the time, father time is coming to Chris yeah. Paul. Like, the, the age factor is kind of creeping up on him. I didn't see the same Chris Paul of him dominating the pick and roll, him setting up the offense, him having that uh, floor general presence on the floor. I feel like it was more a Devin Booker show, let Devin Booker run the offense. And Chris Paul was just kind of there to, hey, trying to make things work from the, like, from the back. Um... I don't know. Maybe that's the game plan for the Phoenix Suns this season to let Devin Booker more like have a bigger role, it's not only scoring but also facilitating mm-hmm. as well. But I mean, I don't know. What did you think? No, yeah, no. I don't think it's Devin Booker at all. I think that while maybe Booker will be more involved this year, I think it's due to the drawback of Chris Paul. While we know Chris Paul's like abilities in years past, like to thrive throughout the pick and roll and be the like just making out outstanding passes, just doing all for the team to try and make them win. We've seen that, but something in his game seems, I don't know if it's a little slow or off, oh, yeah. but he does not seem himself. And I mean, shoot, he is 37 years old, I think now, maybe even going on 38. So this is kind of expected, but sad to see that one of the top players of this generation just dwindling down like this but he's gonna still try and help his team i'm sure oh yeah he's a great locker room presence so i'm really not to take like reading too much into it i think this team will be fine but chris paul for individual play is probably on the decline oh definitely yeah but things that aren't on the decline we have the rookies that just came in made their nba debut yesterday and Wow, Ooh. oh wow, I was pretty <laughs> shocked to see uh, a couple stat lines that came up. Yeah. So first overall pick, Paolo Banquero. He had a historic stat line yesterday, joining only LeBron to have one of these great stat lines. He had 27 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, and 2 blocks against the Detroit Pistons. Were you expecting this from Paolo, or was this like a big surprise game for you? Honestly, I'm not going to say that I expected it, because to this extent, mm, it's not. I don't, I, don't, I don't say I expected it. However... I know Paolo is him. I know this guy is just NBA ready, NBA built. He's going to be just taking over games. He's going to be a franchise player for the Orlando Magic. And so to see him do this in his debut, I'm not completely dumbfounded by it. But at the same time, what a game, man. Although they did come come up short, we know the talent level on this team besides Paolo is maybe not there. Or in, in the like just abilities that they got to maybe not like the best matching up with the Pistons as well but through the for, for the Pistons too we saw the emergence of their rookie as well in Jaden Ivey so it was a kind of like a clash but both rookies played very very solid games and so I'm excited for this new generation to take over oh definitely I think Paulo with his size frame and his big shoulders his wingspan he's going to be a great defender from what I saw but offensively I, I don't know those 27 points although they were great um, I still think that lack of outside shooting could play a little factor if they play a better team, maybe like the Celtics or one of the better teams in the NBA defensively. I think he's going to struggle a little bit because of his outside shooting not being on par. Um, also, yeah. his shot creation off the dribble, maybe those pull-up jump shots. Still needs a little work on that. Yeah. Overall, I think he did have a solid game. It's going to be a great slasher, I know. Yeah. Like, 
in the post, he's really big. He's really strong. Um, I know that he's going to bully smaller defenders. And if there's a like a taller guy slower guy on him, I know he could take him off the dribble and get to the basket. But just like the little things, maybe like jump shooting or outside shooting, he still needs to tweak. He still needs a little work on that. But it's yeah. a great start for him. Not going to take anything away. He did have a really, really great game. Yeah. And Jaden Ivey also from the Pistons. 19 points, 4 rebounds, 3 steals, and 3 assists. For me, he looked like a mini John Morant, too, out there. Maybe it was just the hair, the <laughs> way he was shooting the ball, the, the shooting form was, looked similar to John Morant, but the, his athleticism is undeniable out of this world. Yeah, no, just to go off of that, I mean, Jaden Ivey, his athleticism, his explosiveness, getting to the rim with ease, it's not something that you typically find with players at his position and his height, but we see, like, ev- evidently that, like, there is some comparisons to John Morant, and right away, if anyone recognizes the, the his ability to just t- kind of take over, like possession on possession, and just use his athleticism athleticism to outshine his opponents, like that's that's something I see like evident with Jaw as well. So these these two players, him him and Paolo, very very impressive in their debuts, but a lot more in store for them. They're gonna have to work on their game a lot, but. So far, so good. So I'm excited to see what we see from them. Oh, yeah, and uh, just touching up on Ivy a little bit more, too. I think he's going to compliment Cade Cunningham pretty well because Cade is more like this all-around guy. Um, I'll, I still don't see Cade being that number one scorer yet. I know he could get buckets whenever he wants, but I think he's just more of that all-around player for them. And I think these off-season acquisitions for the Pistons is really going to open up Ivy because now they have Bogdanovich stretching the floor. Um, you also have uh, Cade as well, and then Sadiq Bey. Uh, he's also a great spot-up shooter. So with all these spacing on the floor, I think I- Ivy's going to get his way going downhill because that's where he thrives the most, getting to the paint. Yeah, and the the centers also. I like the center rotation a lot oh, for the I Pistons. Isaiah Stewart. Isaiah yeah, Stewart, Jalen Durant. He can shoot the ball too, yeah. Yeah, I, I really like those picks for them. Isaiah Stewart, that pick is definitely come, like just starting to show how his, his prominence on the um, – court whether it's whether it's his defensive abilities or his ability to stretch the floor like we're beginning to see the evolution of his game and so this team a lot of potential maybe this year's not their year but definitely a young solid squad for years to come for sure and one more rook i wanted to touch up to that had a really really great game silver to ivy benedict matherin from the indiana pacers he had a really great stallion of 19.7 rebounds two assists and two steals as well he's also going to be running for that rookie of the year award with that stat line yeah um, I really, really like Matherin's game. I think there's not really anything that he can't do. His athleticism shows he's able to shoot the ball very, very well. But most of all, I think his most impressive trait is his defense. Oh, yeah. As a guard, it's just not something you typically find. Like comparing his like reach or his just defensive instincts to people in his position. Because he's a shooting guard. He's he maybe a tall shooting guard, but he is a shooting guard. Um, in that position... Uh, Clay Thompson comes to mind, like defensive-minded players who are yeah. able to shoot. I really like Benedict Matherin, and I think he's going to be very, very important in this Pacer rebuild. So I'm excited for things to come to him, too. Yeah, I think what he's going to compliment uh, Tyrese Halliburton really well. Halliburton's where that pass for his point guard. We saw Halliburton getting buckets as well yesterday. Yeah. But I think Matherin's, I think his role is just going to be that score and play defense as well for the Pacers. With Halliburton running the show on offense, him trying to dime up other people, that's just really going to simplify down for Mather in this rookie season too. Hey, let's just focus on scoring. Let's get a bucket and play solid defense. For sure. Let's move on to the NFL. Week 7 on its way. And a lot of games to go through. 
So let's just start with some predictions right now. We got the Colts and the Titans in another AFC East rematch. Who do you got for winning that game? Man, the, these these AFC borderline like toward. The, I feel I feel like they're both toward the same tier, in my in my opinion. Um, maybe not contenders. Definitely not toward the bottom, but. I don't know. Um, it looks like uh, as of right now, Jonathan Taylor is supposed to play in this game. So I think that's going to be a very interesting matchup if these both run dominant offenses face one another with Derrick Henry being the face of the um, Titans as well. I think this will go the Titans way, though. I think that their defense is just ahead of the Colts, although the Colts do have a really good defense as well. Maybe not healthy, but... They do have a good defense as well. I think this is going to be a pivotal game in deciding which of these teams is really going to try and take off and push for a playoff run. But, yeah, I'm definitely going to go with the Titans for this one. I think that they're going to just – I think Derrick Henry's going to have a better game. Oh, I definitely agree. I'm going to just choose the Titans for this one. Titans are at home. It can honestly go both ways, but I feel like I like the Titans a little better than the Colts for this game. Then we have another AFC Divisional matchup. We have the Ravens against the Browns. I think pretty easily I'm gonna take Lamar Jackson with this one. I, I I like saying that I like saying that phrase, but in the in weeks past it's come back to haunt me. Lamar Jackson giving up leads. Lamar Jackson not being able to find his key targets maybe as much as he would like. There's a lot of question marks around this team. Now the Browns are coming off of an atrocious loss against the Patriots, so I think that this is gonna be a bounce back game for the Browns. But I still can't see the Browns beating the Ravens, even despite the struggles in which they've endured recently. So I'm going to take the Ravens as well. All right. And then we have the Texans and the Raiders. I think the Raiders are going to get their second win of the season, I think, pretty easily as well. Yeah. Uh, not much to really say. The Texans are just not a team that is really trying to do any work right now. I think they're just riding with the flow. Maybe trying to get a good pick next draft. But yeah, the Raiders are definitely, I feel like, going to win this game. And then we have the uprising New York Jets, who has been on a roll against the Denver Broncos, who's been really struggling. I'm going to make a surprise pick. I'm taking the Jets over the Broncos for this game. I would say it's a surprise, but at this point in time, with the struggles that we've seen the Broncos endure, their team also not being at 100% strength, too, has a factor as well. But the Jets are on the tear. The 4-2, Robert Sala's coaching is just at an all-time peaking Um Sauce Gardner is starting to take off. These rookies, as we talked about in our last episode, just starting to take off for the Jets, really. So I'm honestly going to go <clears throat> with the Jets as well. But it would be a different story with the healthy Broncos, man. Oh, definitely, yeah. And then rounding out the AFC matchups for um, Week 7, we have the Steelers and the Dolphins. Who do you have winning that game? Um, I'm going to say the Dolphins. And I, I, I know the Steelers kind of made some noise last week against Tampa Bay as they did win that game, surprisingly. However, I think I know two is going to be coming back, maybe not at 100%, but this team, the Dolphins, I think defense and offense are just miles ahead of the um, the Steelers in a lot of those categories. I'm also taking the Dolphins to, even if two is not coming back, I still trust the Dolphins more than the Steelers. I feel like last week was kind of a fluke against Tampa Bay, so I don't see that happening once again. Yeah. And we have the Falcons and Bengals on Sunday. Surprisingly, Falcons are pretty good this year. So yeah, which one do we? Oh, which one? Are, which sorry, which team are you taking for this one? Um, so they are making a lot of noise. The Falcons, they're three and three, stable five hundred currently, and the Bengals are at home though. I think that's going to be a very big difference maker. But something in my mind is telling me that these these Falcons are going to put up a fight and win this game. 
I don't know whether it's going to be the lackluster efforts for the defense, maybe for the Bengals, but we know their offense. We know their offense is very good. But if the um, if the Falcons can do a good a good job of not allowing maybe as many red zone trips for the Bengals, I think I can see them coming out on top. So I'm I'm gonna have a hot take here, and I'm gonna take the Falcons. Interesting. I'm taking the Bengals for this one. Uh, they did have a great win against the Saints. I don't see that stopping anytime soon against the Atlanta Falcons. Give me the Bengals for this one. For sure. And then we have the Giants and the Jaguars. The Giants are surprisingly what five and one. Yep. <laughs> I'm not sure if I should take the Giants. I feel like this could be a trap game that the Jaguars could win, but... It definitely it has the potential yeah. to be that. I see it for sure. But I'm still taking the Giants for this one. I yeah. think Saquon Barkley is going to have a great game again, so give me the Giants over the Jaguars. Yeah, Um. one thing to highlight is I don't know the strength of the Jaguars' defense, really. I don't know how it compares to, uh, and specifically, the run defense for trying to stop Saquon. Um, so I will go with the Giants as well, but... I don't know. The ja- the Jaguars did upset the Colts as well. They've had some g- good games in the season, so I definitely could see them putting on an offensive clinic and actually winning this game. But for now, I'm going to stay and take the Giants to win this game. And we have the Seahawks, who's also been surprisingly really well as well, 3-3 three and three against the Chargers. I got the Chargers winning this one, though. Honestly, I may have to oppose you really quickly. Um, I think that the offensive production that we've seen from Geno Smith has really highlighted how good this um the Seahawks offense has been this year maybe in this like just kind of surprising too I think the loss of Russell Wilson really isn't affecting them as much as they thought it would and to think that people were beginning to say that oh Drew Locke is the starting quarterback of this team it's kind of baffling me but I'm actually going to take the Seahawks to win this game over the Chargers I think the the Chargers defense is banged up I think that JC Jackson is not playing to his up to par I think that there's a lot of questions with the Chargers team. I think that they're a very, very good team as well. But I don't know. I just think that there's going to be an upset for this game. I think that Geno Smith is going to really thrive. Interesting, interesting take. Then we got the 49ers and Kansas City. I think we all know Kansas City winning this one. (sighs) This is what makes it tough. I honestly think healthy, the San Francisco 49ers may have the best, best defense in the league. Um, I think it's very debatable, but either way, if any defense were to stop Patrick Mahomes, I think it would be this one. So I'm going to say that uh, the 49ers will win this game. Surprisingly, it is a it is a hot take for sure. We know Patrick Mahomes. We know the Chiefs. We know that they're fully capable of winning this game. But I don't know. I think the matchup with the goes kind of to the de- goes kind of to the defense in this matchup. Uh, that's if the defense is healthy. I'm not sure if the San Francisco defense is healthy. True, true, true. I'm going to just play off of last week, and last week we all knew they were not healthy, so give me Kansas City for this one. And then we have the Thursday night matchup against the Saints and the Cardinals. I have the Cardinals surprisingly bouncing back with D-Hop back. I'm going to take the Cardinals, and this is going to get them rolling in the standings. Yeah, Um. honestly, I can agree with you with that. Their defense has been a little sparky, but... Yeah, with the re re implementing of um, D Hop into the lineup, I think that this is going to be the pay dividends for them, and they're going to win this game against the Saints for sure. Then we have the Lions and the Cowboys. I think Dak might be coming back. I'm not too sure, but the possibility of Dak coming back give me the Cowboys. Even if Dak's not coming back, yeah. Cooper Rush, I think he's still gonna get the job done over the Lions. Yeah, I think either way, regardless of who's starting at the quarterback for the Cowboys, their defense is just miles better than the um, Lions. So. 
not only do they win that matchup, but I think that the quarterback matchup, I think both of those quarterbacks are better than Jared Goff. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I'll take the Cowboys as well. And then we have Green Bay and Washington. Even though Green Bay looked like they're struggling, I'm still trusting Green Bay to pull this one through over the Commanders. Honestly, I may have to oppose you. I think the Green Bay has been struggling recently a lot, and it's due to the fact that their targets are just so inconsistent. Maybe Lazard gets some. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe uh, Christian, their rookie Christian Watson gets some. I don't know. There's Romeo Dobbs. Like, there's so many question marks. They don't have that true number one. However, I think that the Commanders not only do have a number one in Terry McLaurin, but they have such a strong unit over there. They got Brian Robinson back, who not thrived, but he definitely had a solid game back for his first one. Um, I will take the um, Commanders in this game because I do think that the defensive pressure of the defensive line for the commanders is going to get to Aaron um Aaron Rodgers wow <laughs> Aaron Rodgers a lot more than we think but um yeah it's just not the same Packers team that we've seen in the years past so I think that the commanders will take this one interesting and then we have uh Carolina Panthers against Tampa Bay I think not, we all know Tampa yeah, Bay is going to win not much this to one. say here yeah. man this team is tanking um I'll take the ta- Tampa Bay Buccaneers and we'll round it out for week seven we have the Monday night matchup the Chicago Bears and the New England Patriots Patriots are going to run through the Bears give me the Patriots yeah easy yeah honestly I hate to say it but the Bears are just not that team although Justin Fields could have a surprisingly good game um I don't think so I mean yeah. that Bill Belichick defense is going to cause havoc again for Justin Fields yeah and it's a primetime game and the Patriots are at home I mean yeah there's, there's not a lot looking good for the Bears, so I'll, I, will, I will take the Patriots as well. And that's all we have for today. And for more episodes, check out Top House Sports on Spotify. I'm Hansel Chill, i with Tenbit, and we'll see you next time.